Welcome to The Money Show this evening. Mandy Collins in studio with us this evening. She is a writer, she's a business writing trainer, and she is a stickler for good manners. You are, aren't you? I mean, certainly in public anyway. (laughs) Yes, definitely in public. Okay, so tonight's How It Works feature is digital communication etiquette. And I I ask this question as somebody who remembers phoning someone. And you, you, you don't have to introduce yourself anymore when you phone someone. Chances are the person you're calling knows who you are because you're phoning a specific number and you're getting the person you intend. And the odds are they've got your number and they just pick up and go, hello. And, and you have a conversation because you've done the introductions digitally already. You remember the days, I'm sure, of phoning someone you fancied and their mother or their father answered and you got the dry mouth and you'd have to deliver pleasantries first in order to sort of get through the gatekeeper to speak to the person you really wanted to talk to. Nowadays, you, just, you phone them directly on their device or you contact them by any number of platforms when you used to write a letter you remember letters they used to be at there used to be a place called the post office that used to deliver these things um you'd write them with a pen okay now we couldn't explain what a pen is a pen is a, <laughs> one of these things in your day it may have been a quill mandy um and you'd write a letter and you would then sign the letter and you put your name at the bottom it was you'd either go yours faithfully or yours sincerely uh, or yours or you go love or lots of love depending on who you were writing to and we've seen i think mandy to have taken many of those sort of pleasantries and formalities forward into the digital age haven't we well we have and we haven't and where we have taken them forward i think we've often done it badly um i offer you the prime example of i hope this email finds oh! me well. Because, you know, the email leaps out of your little computer and goes searching around for you with a big magnifying glass and a stethoscope to check whether you're well or not. It's the most ludicrous expression I've ever come across. You have the same allergy to public relations practitioners of a certain ilk. Yes. Who determined to drive us completely mad, personally, <laughs> by wishing. I hope this email finds you well. Firstly, the email has not found me. It has arrived in a digital box, and it has no emotion and no care. I once replied to a public relations practitioner who should have known better with, this email doesn't care about my feelings. And they had the good grace to apologize. Um, well, I could do you one worse if you oh, like. Oh, please go on, drive me mad. I, I once got an email from a PR practitioner who I'd never met, never had any contact from, et cetera, et cetera, that started with, hey, babe. <laughs> you see, <laughs> so that's taking I, I, pleasantries I, to the wrong extreme. Yeah, I, I, look, I mean, I, I might warm to that, but that's just middle age. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's... The, the, I want to get to that sort, of, that sort of extreme communication, but just in our everyday lives, are we expected in an email to say, dear Mandy... Um, here are the 10 things we need to talk about. Regards, love, well, farewell, cheers. Me, I would <laughs> hope you would say, dear Mandy. But no, look, I think with all writing, whether you're writing an email, whether you're living out the professional setting, what you want to do is start at the end. This is what good writers know. We think about who is receiving this communication. And then we think about what tone we want to adopt. And in business, it's a bit like going to a cocktail party where you're not quite sure of the dress sense. You always overdress rather than underdress. So I think the key is to think about who am I writing to? What is my relationship with them? What tone can I take here that will still be professional? And if I'm writing particularly externally to clients outside of the company, would I be comfortable putting this email on the company letterhead? Good. That's a good test, actually. That is a good test. Um, You know, we forget that mm. digital stuff doesn't die. And when it's unearthed, 
<laughs> you want it to look good. <laughs> this is true. If there's ever an audit, and if there's ever if there's ever a, a trail that is required, how did your communication come across? Exactly. Was it deferential? Was it respectful? Or was it frivolous and silly? How would the person on the other end of this communication have interpreted your communication? Did your communication contribute to enhancing um, the relationship that your corporate entity had with the other corporate entity? Or did it undermine in any way? And suddenly you get yourself into an absolute blooming minefield, don't you? Yeah, and I think it's really, you know, people people either go to one extreme or the other. Either they're, they're writing as if they're wearing their cap backwards and, I don't know, on a skateboard. Or they are chewing writing gum. as if, chewing, chewing yes, gum. Or yeah. they're writing as if they're sort of, you know, an advocate in the high court. Um, and I think we need to aim for a tone that is professional but everyday sort of conversational words, if I can put it that way. So email is less formal than letter writing, but yes. needs to convey the same tone as a letter might have done 20 years ago. Yeah, and I think that tone is always professional, not formal, if I can distinguish between the two. I dare you to try. <laughs> so, you know, formal is the... Um, Please find attached here too for your kind information. Oh, I get emails like those. Yes, yes. They look like they're written by Barry Roo. And really, I mean, we all know how to find an attachment these days. We don't go searching around our emails for the attachments. We know where they are. You can just say, here is the attachment you asked for. That's perfectly professional. You don't have to get into the convoluted here to after under which it's ridiculous. I mean, who outside of a, uh, out of a law class has ever been taught that kind of language? Is what I'm trying, and I'm frankly, trying they to shouldn't find. be teaching it in law classes either. They it's shouldn't. Complete nonsense. It is, and and so your your basic lesson when it comes to communication is to use short, simple words in short, simple sentences that are clear and to the point. Yeah, because we forget that we live in a country where there are 11 official languages and only 10% of the population speaks English as their first language. And yet it's the language of business. And we also work in a global village where you have Indian English and Australian English and South African English and American English, and they're also different as well. So the more simple and plain you can be, the less likely that your words are misconstrued. What is the obsession? And I, I think it comes from people who feel insecure about their mastery of the language who mm -hmm. then overdo it. And in overdoing it, you expose yourself to being insecure about your, your use of language rather exactly. than having the confidence to say, the sky is blue. It is a beautiful day. I hope you have a good trip. Yep, and that's the whole message of the plain language movement. Mm. It's a very common feature with second language speakers, no matter which second language they are communicating in. So if we're using English as an example, it's a kind of a, I feel insecure about my English, so now I'm going to demonstrate just how good I am and use the biggest words that I can. And the problem with doing that is that if you are not a first language speaker, you lose the sort of idiom, you lose the connotation rather than the denotation. And an English speaker, there are subtleties that a second language English speaker would not necessarily pick up. And if I were to try and communicate in Isizulu, for example, with my very broken Isizulu, I would, um, I would make the same mistakes. It's a hallmark of second language yeah. um, writing point. or speaking. So it's just about having the confidence actually to hold back a little and to speak to people when you're writing because it's just speaking on a page. 
speak to people when you're writing the way you would speak to them across a desk. You know, you wouldn't arrive back from buying the groceries for your significant other with a packet and say, attached here too for your kind information, the loaf of bread that I just purchased. You'd say, here's the bread. So we need to just try and write on the page the way we speak. Thank you for putting it so clearly. Um, here is the bread, dear. Rather than dear, yes. here is or the bread. <laughs> um, you, yes, and, and and people also the moment you people are confronted by with the pen and paper or confronted with the keyboard, they feel this immediate need to formalize, and there is no need to formalize. Yeah, because they, at they all. think it's writing with a capital W, and really, if if you can't, you just need to speak onto the page. And if you are struggling, chances are you haven't formulated your thoughts properly. Because you can't write well if you haven't thought well first, I think. Okay, so we've got through the hurdles of the letter, and we've got through yes. the hurdles of that sort of communication. Um, understand that this uh, your your email could very well be recalled. I had a, a conversation with a public relations practitioner who I know very well for many years ago. I hope that one never comes to light. It was quite personal. <laughs> um, how soon should one respond to an email? Um, there are people who are very good at managing this sort of thing. I'm not in that group of people um, where they close their inbox and they visit their email inbox two or three times a day and they set aside mm, half an hour at, per time and they go through their emails, deal with them, and then shut down their email inbox again and then get stuck in and focus on uh, another couple of hours' work before going back. Most of us wait for the ping so that we can reply faster than you know, we can read the mail. So I see two things happening. I either see people doing exactly that, jumping on that ping and, and answering immediately, and then often answering badly or without proper thought. Um, I've done it myself. You know, you answer, you dash off something quickly because you're, you're worried it's an important client or it's somebody who's perhaps got a little power over you, and then you send off the wrong thing. It's all too easy to push send. And then you have the other extreme. Um, I have people that we've sent emails to at least a week ago, and it's like they've fallen into a black hole and have never been seen again, either the people or the emails. I'm not sure which. So I think we need to aim. Look, internationally accepted sort of general guideline is within 24 hours. Obviously, if it's urgent life and death situation, which I very much doubt they're going to deal with via email, you can answer sooner than that. But I think 24 hours is reasonable, and and that gives you time to actually respond thoughtfully. And responding thoughtfully means you reduce the number of emails going to and fro oh, in your inbox, Jesus. which would be wonderful. Okay, then let's get to the dreadful WhatsApp group. <laughs> I mean, there is no language that is appropriate to a WhatsApp group, or is there? Well, which WhatsApp groups are we talking about? Just... Okay, pick a WhatsApp group. Let's let's go there. What is the most complex WhatsApp group you can think of? Oh, crumbs. I mean, all of the WhatsApp groups I'm on are either friends or sort of school parent concerns, or they tend to be um, sort of neighborhood watchy type things, which I actually am not a member of, but those are the commonest ones that I see people complaining do about. Do we communicate in different ways in those groups or do we stick to the same laws which are keep it short, keep it sweet, keep it simple? I think those laws remain regardless, but I think we always communicate differently no matter who we're speaking to. That's a sociolinguistic phenomenon. So when you're a teenager, 
You talk one way to your friends, you talk a different way to the school principal, you talk a different way to your parents. And we all do that unconsciously. Um, we speak very differently to our boss than we do to our colleagues. So, again, it's who's reading this, what do they need to know, what do they need to get out of this? Do I need to persuade them of something? Do I need to um, inform them of something? Do I need to educate them about something? You know, we don't just go in and communicate like a bull in a china shop. Stepping back for 30 seconds and and thinking about the message, about the medium, about who needs to get what out of it can make our communication a lot better. Do we introduce ourselves? Do we go, I mean, if I'm sending you a WhatsApp, and let's assume we've not ever met, do I go, dear Mandy? Do I go, hi, Mandy? Do I say, good morning, good afternoon, good day, Mandy? Do I go... Mandy, it's Bruce Whitfield. Um, it's, I think WhatsApp is a little less formal, so you don't need to, you know, I, for emails, I prefer in the professional setting, I prefer dear because it's neutral. Um, on a WhatsApp, I would tend to, to go Yo. straight into the, <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> I would go straight into the, hi, um, I'm Mandy Collins, so-and-so referred me to you. And then go straight into the purpose of the message so that you get to the point quickly. People don't have tolerance for scrolling down. Do you refer to people by their first name in the WhatsApp? Somebody you might refer to, uh, dear Ms. Collins, in an email. Um, mm. Would I do refer to you if I've not ever met you before as, hi, Ms. Collins. I've been referred to you by Mr. Johnson um, and I'm Mr. Whitfield. Or how do we do this? I think a lot of those honorifics have fallen away. I think if you worried use the honorific and they will say please call me mandy or call me bruce or whatever um i tend to work with a lot of doctors so i always go in with a doctor you know to appease their god complex (laughs) and then when they when they answer and tell but with their first name then i take the cue from the way they respond so the guideline is always to go in slightly more formal and then when people give you permission to be less formal then you can be less formal in the same way as going to the cocktail party where you've overdressed exactly um, then you can take off your tie if everybody else is in an open neck shirt you wear a tie um of course oh naturally i would expect nothing <laughs> less um and and but but the honorifics of the dears and all that sort of stuff are are banned i would argue in the whatsapp sms space yes i don't think they're necessary there i think on email you know, again, depending on your relationship with the person, you know, if you're writing to a professor in a university, you're not going to go, how's it, Brew, when you send him an email. You're going to say, dear professor so-and-so. Um, and similarly in a WhatsApp, I might actually do it as well. If it's somebody who's got a sort of an actual title apart from Mr. or Ms., I'd go with the title because people are a bit touchy about those. What happens if it's an honorary doctorate? And what happens if I'm not going what to investigate the entire credential. credential <laughs> what I'm not got, keeping track. <laughs> what happens if they've got an MBA? Um, do you have to acknowledge their MBA? No, then you have to use really big words like scaling and and le- jargon. Le- you know, jargon. Yeah, you've got to use lots of jargon if it's an MBA, definitely. Yes, you have to. And you only know if they've done an MBA if they come back with a jargon-filled rant. Exactly. <laughs> and then you take your cue from that. How do you sign off from these things? I mean, uh, and, and in what context do you sign off? I feel quite rude in, in in WhatsApp conversations, not signing off sometimes. And I think I've come, become used to it. But I've stopped signing off on emails. And I, mm. I kind of feel a bit grubby not signing off on an email. It, and so you should. No, I'm kidding. And I, um, and I, and it, it, but it feels like it feels incomplete, um, especially when, it's a, when, when we're having a conversation by email like, um, do you need milk? Yes, I need milk. Okay, I'll, I'll get the milk. 
I'm not going to be signing off, I'll get the milk regards Bruce or yes. whatever the case might be. Yes. Well, again, I'm going to sound really repetitive, but you take your cue from who you're talking to, why you're talking to them, what you're talking about. So if you're emailing your wife about buying milk, which I hope is not necessary, um, then you could probably just go chat later. If it's someone informal, if it's a colleague, for example, you're not going to sign off every email. But if you want to signify that the conversation has now come to an end, <laughs> you could say something go to like, hell. cheers. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's a very tempting one. It um, is, often. But you could say chat later or cheers. If you're signing off from the managing director, you might want to say many thanks or Regards, I don't like regards really because are they good regards or bad regards? Um, it's a very neutral term that can go every way, you know, either way. So I think pick something you like that feels good to you, but, but again, look for tone. So you don't want to say cheers to the person who's just hired you for, hired you to <laughs> do a job. Cheers, for example. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And what about emojis? This is a lovely one because, uh, I don't like them. They they are they, they have a use. I've I've learned to, I've come to to appreciate their usefulness in some circumstances. Yes, in some circumstances, particularly if you want to indicate that you're joking and somebody might take something the wrong way. But then I would question whether that joke should really be in the email, especially in a professional setting. So I mean, that same hey babe chick who wrote to me. <laughs> you just called the hey babe uh, She's person, a, chick a chick if she starts an email with hey okay, babe. Gotcha. At the end of each line, at the end of each line in a professional <gasps> thing, there was a smiley face. Every single line. It's not appropriate. How did you respond to that? Um, the way I respond to most press releases, which is I delete them and ignore them completely. Excellent. Um, mm. Which is the best way. Um, the most of the nonsense. <laughs> do, have you ever heard of Jim Beglin and Peter Drury? I have not. No, nor have I. So um, somebody who doesn't sign their name, very rude yes. on the SMS line. Uh, with all due respect, oh, already we're we're, we're enemies. There we go. Um, just listen Which to means Jim. I don't respect you at all. Exactly. Carry on. With all due respect, it should have a comma. Um, with all due respect, just listen to Jim Beglin and Peter Drury of the English Premier League. They use words like confubulate and combobulate. <laughs> you can't even spell. Discombobulated. Discombob- I, I'm discombobulated by conflation of the English language. Stop it. Um, there is no excuse for that kind of nonsense, is there? No, there really isn't. And it's again, it's people trying to sound more important and more impressive than they are. And some of the most elegant communicators out there use very plain, simple language. And their communication is elegant because you can actually understand it. The courage to express complex ideas in simple language is one of the most beautiful creations and most beautiful uses of language i, I mean agree. and if if you're reading something that is out of your comfort zone it may be a scientific paper it could be a paper of mathematics or interior decorating it doesn't matter what it is it's outside your comfort zone and the person who is communicating that subject to you does you the service of communicating it in a way that makes you feel smart they're the genius, are Absolutely. they not? Absolutely. And also, for me, it's really about the content. And, you know, you can be interested in most things if the people who are writing or speaking about it are interesting themselves and if they are passionate themselves. And when the language and the writing and the words start to get in the way of that passion and that topic, 
then I have a problem with it. I don't want to see the writing. I want it to be invisible. And that means it has to be simple, plain, well executed, oh, so accurate. And then you can actually get to whatever is on the other side, which is the content. That is so good. The writing should be invisible. Oh, Mandy. Um, uh, Hausa on Twitter wants to know, signing off with kind regards. Is that acceptable? No, it's not, Hausa. No, it's not. Best regards, kind regards, <laughs> worst regards, simplistic regards, elegant regards. No. You know what? I think kind regards is better than regards because at least we know oh, you sorry, kindly Hausa. towards I, I, us. I stand corrected. <laughs> so I think, I think it's really just, you know, we can we can sort of browbeat about this and we can, you know, put our head in our hands. And, and the key is just to be polite. Um, I don't like people starting with good morning, good evening, because what if I read it at a different kind of day? What if I'm having a really terrible day? Goodbye, Mandy. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> no, no, really. We're out of time. Goodbye, Mandy. <laughs> Mandy Collins, you're a superstar. Thank you so much for coming in and telling us uh, how to behave better in a digital universe. One day when we get to the fourth industrial revolution, um, have a listen to this podcast and then you will communicate better with the robots. Mandy Collins, thank you very much. 